Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. Yeah, it is. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is the Sens Nation Podcast. Steve Warren along with the coach, Craig Kennedy. And coming up today, we'll examine some of the top Sens issues. And we'll use Eugene Melnick's recent interview on the Bob McCowan Show as our jumping off point. The Stanley Cup playoffs are giving us multiple storylines. All of them really interesting. And before we launch in today, let's pour you a delicious glass of Canadian rye whiskey from DunRobinDistilleries.com. Yeah. Where will your spirit take you? That'll hit the spot. Greg, how are things today? Very good, Stephen. I'm uh, the uh, for for the benefit of those listening. We're recording this just after the Leafs have won Game Three, and I am out of the corner of my eye watching Pittsburgh and the Islanders play overtime. Right, and you do have a soft spot. Most of our <laughs> list, our regular listeners would know you. You grew up an Islander fan, and uh, you have a soft spot for them. And why not? I mean, that's a team that uh, that's also got some Senator ties in it as well. Yeah, and you got to love watching him play. Barry Trotz, uh, the work he's done there, Lou Lamorello, the team he's put together, and uh, they're they're. I, I understand that they don't score a lot of goals, but to me, they're still they're they're fun to watch. To other people, they're probably not because their their fun is based on excitement and goals. My fun comes from elsewhere watching them play. Well, I'm certainly cheering for them because I'm not sure I've done it on this show, but uh, I have predicted them to be the Stanley Cup winner for 2021. So I kind of cheer for the team that I've predicted to win it all. And uh, yeah, it was a bit aggressive when they're taking on the Pittsburgh Penguins, a pretty good team in their own right. But anyway, let's launch into things today. we got lots to get to, as I mentioned off the top. Um, oh, but first I need an Ice Dogs up, uh, update. <laughs> really? Just to give the good listener closure, Greg. The the we we lost a three game sweep of uh, combined scores of a lot to a little three games in a row and we're done. How's that? Right. <laughs> you sound like Team Canada at the World Hockey Championship. Oh my God! No, no. Hey, hey. At least we scored a couple goals here and there. Well, they've been outscored ten to two and they're zero and three at the Worlds. Canada somehow has lost to Latvia and Germany today, and America in there. There's no shame in that, but America thumped us pretty good as well. We could be on the way to an all-timer as far as poor performances in front of the world in our game. Yuck. But the one thing they've got going for them, Steve, is a lot of the other teams don't have much talent either. Like I, I, I looked through the U.S. roster again today, and and they're not – I don't know that they're much better. It's the uh, the who, who, who's that yeah. guy? Constantly going through the roster of a bunch of people you've never heard of. Uh, Canada's is bad enough, but I think the American lineup might be even worse. So so who knows? Maybe Maybe they'll get a win there. Yeah, and it's an asterisk. It's a COVID-saturated tournament. It, COVID's got its fingerprints all over the thing. Everybody, like you said, has uh, wonky rosters, and so nobody's putting much stock in it. And, uh, well, it's the World Hockey Championships at the end of the day. Canadians are notoriously distracted by the Stanley Cup playoffs, so it's nice to win and everything, but uh, nobody's putting too much stock into it. <laughs> Is that your way of saying maybe nobody will notice? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Trust me. If they lose, it'll be front page news. If they, oh, sorry, when they lose, it'll be front page yeah. news. It's time for a summit. Uh, Eugene Melnick, as mentioned off the top, gave his state of the franchise address and did so in traditional fashion by avoiding the Ottawa media. Instead, he returns to his comfort zone, the Toronto-based Bob McCowan podcast. Um, I mean, the media is used to this at this stage, but it is uh, it is an odd way to go about it. I know it irks not just the media, because obviously I know quite a few in the Ottawa media, but I do hear from a lot of Sens fans who kind of go, 
hey, I'm I'm living in Ottawa here. I'm I'm paying the freight here. I, I I'm a season ticket holder. Why why didn't he ever talk to the Ottawa media, which is effectively the conduit for the Ottawa fans who pay the freight? Yeah, you you'd think like if you're if you're doing it and you're trying to be subtle by not uh, because you don't like the Ottawa media, we we all know that's what the reason is. But if you didn't know that, he could subtly maybe say, well, you know, I live here. It's easier for me to do it here. But they're not live or sorry, they're live, but he's not in person. They're always on the phone or via Zoom. So he could he clearly showing that he could do it from anywhere. Yeah. So therefore, if you could do it from anywhere, you could do it with anyone. But it's always got to be Bob. He just he loves dealing with Bob and and. I don't know whether it's it's uh, which is the stronger the fact that he likes dealing with Bob or the fact that he dislikes dealing with a lot of guys in Ottawa. I'm not sure which is stronger. Yeah, nor nor am I. But let's get into some of the topic matter because there were a number of really interesting things that were chucked out there. For starters, and the one that, that grabbed me the most was the captaincy and the Brady Kachuk talks. Um, right now, the Sens have no captain, and they've gone three years without one, and it seemed to me that Melnick effectively in that conversation threw it out there that Brady Kachuk need not apply for the captaincy. If he doesn't have a long-term contract, then he doesn't want that guy to be a captain. This was his quote. He basically said, um, that's going to be what we're all thinking about over the summer and whether Kachuk is the person for that job, whoever it is, they've got to be around long-term. That's the key for us. You can't have a captain there on a bridge contract. It's not going to happen. But he, along with Thomas Shabbat, they're both leaders, both leaders in the dressing room, which is what you're looking for. To me, it just looks like, okay, he's saying it quite loudly. He's expecting Kachuk to sign a long-term contract. And if he doesn't, then don't bother thinking about being a captain. Well, the, the, the so the first question is, is, is he – uh, raising a legitimate point, which does make a certain level of sense, or is he trying to negotiate through the media and basically sending a message to Brady Kachuk that you know we expect you to sign a long-term contract? And I'm I'm really not sure because so many times when he's speaking, I I, I honestly wonder whether he thinks first. I honestly wonder if anybody prepares him first, if he has any notes, any thoughts beforehand. So I gotta believe that it's a genuine honest feeling from him that he doesn't want a captain on a bridge contract. But I'm also thinking, you know what? He might've just said that without even realizing what he was saying. That's an excellent point. Because <laughs> I think I listen to the entire thing. And, and every time I hear an interview with Eugene Melnick, it feels like it, it just it, one of those deals where you, you figure, okay, you have a PR team that should be talking to this guy and making him aware of the consequences of flippant commentary. And it feels like that happens again and again to the point where you go, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's really no message sending. Maybe he's just shooting from the hip without any regard uh, for consequences. I think that's part of it. And uh, I think there's it's part of that at play as well when I hear him say things like, yeah, I had a big conversation with the head coach and uh, we decided that we need a center and a defensive defenseman. And then he said like, like Pierre Dorian was really careful in his season ending press conference about not tipping his hand about needs and things like that. And then the very first question he answers and volunteers that information to the world. So you may be onto something there. You know, and, and it's an organization that's done a really good job over the last two, three years or 
of not leaking anything. Like when's the last time you heard a rumbling of any of these signings that the Shabbat signing came as a complete surprise? Um, uh, their most recent trades, uh, the free eight, you heard something on Galchenyuk. But other than that, all those guys they signed in the offseason, we never heard a word. Nobody knew anything was coming. Um, it, it seems like it, it. you would think that it was an organizational goal or mandate that nothing gets released. And then he, he goes on the show like two days after Pierre says, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what's out there, but we really aren't looking for anything. And then boom, here comes the the bomb of we need a defensive defenseman and we need a real live bonafide number one center ice. Right. So, you know, where's it going to come from? Who knows? Is he just saying that that's what he wants or is he saying that's what we're going to do? I, I, there's a difference there, obviously, too. Yeah. Right. And that was what DJ Smith fed him. Uh, he seems to love DJ Smith. He referenced uh, his conversation with Smith at the end of the year as the best team assessment he's ever received from a coach at any level. So he's obviously got a fondness for DJ Smith to speak of him in those terms because, well, he's never shy to tear down when the need arises. And uh, so to, to speak as glowingly as he did about DJ Smith, that certainly says something. But that's where he got that information about the center and a defensive defenseman came from DJ Smith. And I wonder, do you, are we really talking about this group going out yeah. again and, and getting, you know, making trades and or, or looking at free agency to bring these, to airlift these guys in rather than developing what you have? Because this Sens group, Greg, hasn't been real good at filling holes via trade or free agency. Yeah, it, it is a legitimate question. I think it's more a question of when. So it, at what point does the organizational goals of a trade change to uh, adding a placeholder to adding a serious upgrade in talent? Right. At what point does the team take that next step and start adding like real live talented hockey players to the core? to the young core, right? So if they start this off season, uh, you know, is that too early? All of a sudden, maybe you've, maybe you're accused of trying to do things too soon, but if they do nothing uh, and they finish the same way, or, you know, they don't necessarily make a big enough step forward next year, then are people going to look at them and say, well, you should have done something. You screwed up and did nothing. So, I mean, the bottom line is that there's enough talent uh, already here and in the pipeline that again, it's going to come down to long-term projections on these guys and where do we need to fit people in? And according to the coach, apparently it's, it's number one center and it's a defensive defenseman. So, all right, who's out there? Uh, is it a serious thing that you can go get? And then what are you willing to give up to get right. them? Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I'm of a, I'm of the mind now based on what I've seen in the last decade, really, that they should just stay the course and do what they're good at. They're a frugal team to start with. And so, you know, spending to the cap and uh, or re-signing your UFAs, those really aren't in the cards for this organization, particularly in a COVID world where there have been no fans. There'll be probably limited fans next year. And I, I really feel like there's logic to it, even if they weren't in the circumstances they are, to draft well, and that's what they're freaking good at, draft well, roll with these kids until they're eligible for unrestricted free agency and then make those Mark Stone type turnovers, those Eric Carlson type turnovers, make big deals and, and co consistently restock. But meanwhile, there's going to be, if you do this consistently and don't give away your assets, uh, there'll be guys coming along behind those guys. There won't be this massive gap that we've seen in the last three, four years where they're going to have to be terrible 
for that timeline. Uh, just continually build through the draft and guys come along and take your shot that way. Because I think that whole UFA thing, man, those don't work out. We've spoken yeah. about it before. They work out far less than they fail. And so I, I feel like this team in particular should really stay the course. I mean, look at the disastrous Matt Duchesne trade. Let's say there's our go for it center area. Let's get it. And then it just all fell apart. To me, it's stick with what you're good at. You're not good at trading. You haven't been for the most part. <laughs> and you certainly don't have the wherewithal to outbid anyone in free agency. So this is the template that's good for you. And it's the one you're good at. Keep doing that. That would be my opinion. That would be my advice to the organization. Yeah, and I think that the the key phrase that uh, that uh, Mr. Melnick did use during the press conference was "search and destroy." We're going to go out on a search and destroy okay. mission to find this t- top center and this uh, defensive defenseman. Um, yeah, I I really don't think that at this point you have the pieces required, or the pieces you do have shouldn't be used in order to make those kind of acquisitions. Not quite yet. Maybe it's more go out and find a middle six guy. Maybe you can find a top four D, not necessarily a top two D. Yes, you can find those kinds of players because you have um, the lesser prospects and you do have a number of extra draft picks, but you don't have enough right now, nor should you be moving what you do have right now to try to search and destroy to find what uh, what Eugene see and, and apparently what DJ Smith thinks they right. need. So back to Brady Kachuk. And we start thinking yeah. about his future. And obviously he needs a new contract before he plays another hockey game for the Ottawa Senators or anyone in the NHL, however this thing plays out. Are you thinking, what's your spidey sense is telling you? Are you saying bridge or are you saying long-term? What's it going to be? Well, I, I, the same thing I've always said, and, and I, I hate to sound like I'm you know sitting on the fence, but... There's two sides here, and it's not just what the Senators want. The Senators will want a long-term eight-year contract. Brady Kachuk may not want that, and and that's the thing here. There's a, there's two sides to this. With the salary cap where it's at now, um, there's a maximum that you're allowed to give to a player, a, per, a certain percentage of the cap, and, and forgive me, I'm not sure what that number is, but I know that no one player can make more than, I want to say it's 20% of I the cap. I believe it is. So when the cap goes up, uh, this just in, 20% of the cap goes up too. So he's eligible to make even more money. So in the case of the player, he may be okay with just a bridge deal or maybe uh, you know a couple years and maybe one buy up one year of his free agency. And that may be what he wants. So we need to all take a deep breath and understand there's two sides to this negotiation. And no matter what gets done, it doesn't necessarily mean that that you know, it happened because one side insisted on this or because one side dropped the ball. If it ends up being a three-year deal, it's not necessarily because the senators were too cheap. Right. And if we're, if we're looking at timing, it couldn't be better because Brady Kachuk's got to be feeling pretty good about the future. He's got friends on the team. He sees the direction they're going in. He's probably the captain if all goes well. Um, there's a real chance he could sign that long-term contract. I think it's going to be outside noise that is the threat to that. The whole concept mm-hmm. of a bridge deal might come from his agents, his dad. You remember when Mark Stone 
was on the uh, trade block at the end of his contract, mm-hmm. and Keith Kachuk was very vocal about you got to get that get that guy signed. That was Brady's landlord for a year or two, and uh, and Keith Kachuk loved that guy, and so he might be getting in his son's ear and saying, "Hey, hey, commitment to winning. There's lots of opportunity out there. You'll only be what 25 when you become a UFA. I think is because he started at 18." So I believe it at 25, yep. he can be eligible for UFA. So it's not that long uh, commitment to winning. And there's lots of other organizations out there, lots of fish in the sea. So he might be getting it from both sides. I think if it's Brady Kachuk himself, he's like, yeah, let's do this. Just give me a, give me Shabbat steel and let's, let's go play. Yeah. Let's get yeah. it done. Yeah. True. But then a uh, dad also is one of only two or three guys in the history of the NHL who was traded at the deadline as a UFA and went back and re-signed with the team he came from. Did you know that? Yeah, Brady could, or sorry, Keith. Keith Kachuk was traded from, I want to say Arizona to St. Louis and then went back and re-signed in Arizona or St. Louis to Arizona, whatever. He was traded. At some point in his career, the guy was traded and went back at the end of that season and re-signed as a free I think Glenn agent. Wesley did be that. Antoine right? did, Glenn Wesley, did Glenn Wesley do that too? Ooh. I'm not, there, there's a third one out there that that is slipping my mind right now, but the other big one is Antoine Vermette. That was uh, Chicago, Arizona to Chicago, back to Arizona. So Kachuk was St. Louis to Arizona and back to St. Louis. And then there's a third one. Yeah, maybe it is Glenn Wesley. But that says something about comfort with a situation and I like where I am and I'm okay to come back there and right and 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 in Brady's case maybe that's the kind of kind of advice that he gets from dad you know if you're happy there and you like it there and uh, you know it's good for the family it's a good uh, community and all that sort of stuff maybe that plays into the argument the devil you know versus the devil you don't know you go play somewhere else who knows what the dress room's like who knows what the community's like who knows what the the neighborhood you even live in the, the, the grocery store there's all kinds of things that affect decisions beyond just the dressing room and the bench and the coach and the ice yeah. right funny you mentioned dressing room because uh, that did come up in the conversation yep. eugene melnick had on the bob mccowan show and it sounds like you know He's got no tolerance for a bad dressing room. He had some unusual descriptions of what makes up a bad dressing room. Here's the quote. I've seen bad dressing rooms. Everyone has. This is a group that's a coach's dream and that they push each other. They're young. They all have the same dream. They're all pulling for each other. There's none of this prima donna stuff. And I like all that. That's all good. And I think we all agree with that. Yes, but then he goes on to say, DJ will get rid of these prima donna types so fast it'll make your head spin. He sees one guy showing up in a fedora or some kind of hat coming into the dressing room. He is curtains. He won't even get to the dressing room. We don't put up with that crap anymore. We just lay down the law. He's got some big problems with hats, that guy. (laughs) So who is it? He was talking about fedoras and loud suits. Is that Carlson? Well, the loud suit for sure. I, I was, I mean, I, I mean, there was lots of text going around this week, and uh, one of my buddies said, you know, so that sounds like Carlson. I said to him, and he sent me back a picture. Didn't even reply. He just replied with a photo of Eric Carlson wearing a uh, shiny green suit, which he also referred to <laughs> yeah. in later uh, later on in the interview. So yeah, I think that that's a big shot across the bow of. Uh, the good ship, Eric Carlson. Across the bow, it's right in the right in the heart of the bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, 
That's what that was. I mean, that's all I took that as. Yes, we know the, um, you know, that I don't know if you know, or I don't know if our listeners know, but the whole rest as a weapon, that was Carlson. That was not, it was, okay, it started with, um, help me out, what's his name again? Boucher started out with Boucher, but, but uh, Carlson just loved that whole thing, hated practice. And that came from him. Like 85% of the time there was a day off. It's because Carlson went to Boucher and said, Hey, you know, the guys are kind of tired. Can we take the day off? That's that's where that was coming from. So you can, you can bet that, 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 yeah, that shot was directly at Carlson, the dressing room shenanigans that went on the, the, the questionable work ethic of a lot of the players that were here then, um, yeah, that's, and it has been cleaned up and that's great. But again, Eugene, not having notes, not thinking about what he's saying first, just fires off stuff and ends up like, we're not stupid, uh, buddy. We know what you're talking about yeah. here. And it is kind of a grandpa take. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Get off yeah. my lawn and get rid of that. Exactly. Fedora. You know, the, and what they wear as, as far as suits go being flashy and such, it's like, come on. Um, this is uh 2021. Um, but he can do the no sideburns law as well, you know, that George Steinbrenner. Had. He did talk about, they did bring up Lamarillo in there too, right? During the, during the show. That's true. Show. Yeah. And uh, yeah. He, he said he was a piece of work. I'm like, oh my God, pot, kettle, uh, <laughs> like to introduce you guys to each other. Unbelievable. <laughs> New arena in Gatineau. How about that? <laughs> so he's going to have a nice new 12,000-seat arena potentially in Gatineau. I think pretty much uh, we all regard that as, uh, well, there's Eugene. Not getting along. Not not best friends forever with Jim Watson, the city of Ottawa. He, even in the interview, talked about he's 80% sure he'll stay in Canada. He even talked in the interview about, I've got land in Canada, probably staying in Canada. But you know what? I might move to Gatineau. Uh, so I think most of us look at that as a fairly empty threat. Okay, like like seriously, uh, even if it is only 12,000 people, I can't wait to see the 12,000 people going across the bridges to see a game in the middle of a weeknight. Right. Like, with, combine it with the traffic of the people commuting home from work. And then the whole idea of 12,000, like seriously? Like, okay, I can, I can understand they've done some work there with the whole, what do they call that, bell world in the one end mm-hmm. there and – a lot of things have converted over from standard seating to to lounges and gathering and standing areas. All right, fine. So do a whack of that, but still have fifteen thousand can sit. Maybe fourteen, five, fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand are going to seat. Are going to be in seats, and you can have other things like that where you still got two or three thousand coming into the building. Right. But if he's thinks he's going to build a rink with only twelve thousand seats, the NHL would never. They'd say get lost. Like they wouldn't. They would never consider taking a team into the league that had only a twelve thousand seat yeah. arena. Yeah, and I guess the theory is, you know, it's a, it's all COVID related. But I I think we all, from a business perspective, you have to rely on the fact that COVID will one day be a thing of the past. And on that note, just as a sideline, and I'm not blaming anybody for this because it it totally is what it is. It's just the reality of the situation. But man, in the last few days, watching some of the American NHL broadcasts, Greg, and the natural sound compared to this artificial droning garbage we get in the Canadian broadcasts. Again, I'm not blaming anyone. It's just the reality of the situation. But man, it was like ear candy to me to hear how amazing it sounded to have natural fan noise again. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I noticed it tonight watching, I flip back and forth, right? So you especially notice it then when you're flipping back and forth from a game with yeah. fans and then you're watching Toronto, Montreal. Like it's just, you hear the Leafs score a goal, you can hear the Leaf players on the ice hooting and yeah. hollering, right? That's all you hear because there's no fans right. in the building. And then you flip it over and you're watching another game where there's actually people in the stands. Uh, it's like, yeah, they're, 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 look, I, you can hear people again. Yeah, it, it, it totally changes the whole viewing uh, enjoyment level. Let's put yeah, it that Yeah, the natural fans is just like there's an ebb and a flow, volume up, volume down. It naturally goes. And and the Canadian broadcast is just this 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 din, this, this consistent thing going, ah, through the whole thing. It's just now that, I, now that I've noticed it, it's going to be hard for me to watch the rest of the North Division playoffs, which is the one I'm most sure. interested in. And, and think of it think of it as a broadcaster. Like you've got Chris Cuthbert doing the game tonight and, and his voice is rising and lowering and building with the excitement of the play. And it's just so much louder as he gets louder with when something exciting is happening. But there's no fans to sort of, okay, that's why he's louder because the fans are louder. He needs to speak louder. But when there's no fans, it's like he's just yelling at right. me now. Why is he yelling? Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, a couple other things on the uh, arena in Gatineau in that uh, – they were asking Eugene Melnick about uh, LeBreton and how things have gone in the past. And he basically took apart former management. And I don't think it's any stretch to suggest he's talking about Cyril Leader. I mean, Eugene Melnick was talking about, oh my God, my uh, right under my nose, he brought in this uh, nightmare partner. And, and again, we're jumping to conclusions that he's talking about John Ruddy, uh, brought in a new partner right under my nose. Right when I was getting a, right when I was getting my surgery, I mean, I don't, I don't recall a time when he started going down that road where he's just ripping his former management team and and also putting the blame on them for the Sens being bankrupt when he took over. He said, "Oh man, I'm such a moron for keeping that management team around. Took the team over when when we were bankrupt, and I kept that bankrupt team around as though as though it all should fall at Cyril Leader's feet." There's a lot more to it than that. Let us move away from ownership talk. And Thomas Shabbat had there's a few shaky games in there, but I think of the overall body of work. He had a fine season for the Ottawa Senators in the first year of his eight-year, $8 million contract. And this year he was named Ottawa's King Clancy Trophy nominee. And that's a leadership award, Greg. That's uh, for on-ice leadership and off-ice leadership. That's a big bulk of the definition of that award, and that, that's um that's interesting timing, right? Because I mean that's a that's a senator yeah. nominee, so I assume the Ottawa Senators put his name forward for the award, and this is a an interesting time for leadership. Back to the captaincy, and uh, it's Thomas Shabbat who gets that award, and not a guy right now like Brady Kachuk. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I. I- I view the King Clancy Award more as the humanitarian one, more as the community service one, um, working with charities and working with uh, within your own community. I, I see it more of that than leadership. I think I, the Messier thing seems to be the leadership one. Are you sure it talks about leadership that much? Yeah, it's awarded to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. You're reading the, you're reading into the leadership side of it. I'm reading more into the other side of it. I think the, that if you check 
the past winners of that trophy are always guys who have done incredible things within the community. Like think back to the days of uh, what did Wade Redden call his uh, box up there that the kids had? Wade's World. Wade's World, things like that, um, hospital visits, uh, creating, uh, or Kyle Turris working with the, um, what's the team called? And then Boro took over. The Capital City Condors. There you are. You're the man. That kind of thing. I think uh, I, I, th- this award to me is more about those types of things than it is about leadership. Have they nominated anybody for the Mark Messier Award at this stage? Yeah, not, at this, not at this point in time, no. Yeah, because that could destroy my my take completely. Uh, though you've taken <laughs> you've taken it apart pretty well already. I'm sorry, that's no, okay. But uh, if, actually, if, Messi, you know if he what, gets, Steve, if, yeah, I'm, I'm going to look at the former winners. All right. So I'm looking at the former winners, and all it talks about for each guy is their humanitarian contribution. Lanny McDonald, supporter of numerous charities in Toronto and Calgary. Brian Trottier worked with numerous charities, including the Special Olympics, the Long Island Just Say No to Drugs program, and the Make a Wish Foundation. Uh, most recently, those were the first two winners. Uh, Daniel Alfredson, over 15 seasons, Alfredson has contributed to many local charities and causes becoming a staple in the community. So I, I, I think it's got a lot more to, Nick Felino's won it for crying out loud. It's got a lot more to do with community involvement and raising funds and doing things to help less fortunate people and humanitarian activities than it has to do with leadership. So I hate the story. I did... I killed your your point there, buddy. <laughs> no, it's okay. We'll have this conversation again if uh, if if Kachuk is not the Messier Leadership yeah. Award winner uh, for the Ottawa Senators, and good uh, point. That's one that Alfie won in 2013, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's um, that's a good point. You know, why even have leadership in that? You know, that just okay. That's if it's about community, then then call it that. But the yeah. very first thing that they identify in the definition of the King Clancy Award is the leadership on and off the ice. So you think that would play into it to some degree. Anyway, if you're, you know, if, if Kachuk was on to win the Messier thing, I will rescind that take entirely. <laughs> so Shabbat is Ottawa's King Clancy nominee. And also he is our Dunrobin Distilleries player of the week. Thomas Shabbat was drafted in the first round 18th overall by the senators in the 2015 NHL entry draft. By January 2017, he was one of the best junior players in the nation. In fact, he became the first defenseman to be named the most valuable player of the World Junior Hockey Championships, leading Canada to a silver medal that year. Known as one of the game's smoothest skating defensemen, Shabbat had a breakout season after Eric Carlson was traded to San Jose in the fall of 2018. Doing his best Carlson impression, Shabbat finished that season with 55 points in 70 games the 10th highest among NHL D-men that season. He began an eight-year, $8 million contract this past season and is expected to be part of the leadership group of this club for years to come. Thomas Shabbat, our Player of the Week. It's brought to you by DunrobinDistilleries.com, just like craft beer years ago. The market for craft spirits is booming right now, and Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront in Ottawa. They are... They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters, and their recently launched Earl Grey gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. DunrobinDistilleries.com. Where will your spirit take you? Can I top you up a little bit here, Greg? <laughs> sure, please. Okay, there you go. Matt Sogard. That's a hell of a start as a pro in North America. 
Rolls into Belleville and a smooth 7-0. and Troy Mann sounded very pleased with uh, the way he's able to kind of quiet the game down, kind of just stabilize everything back there. And uh, certainly an imposing figure. Hard to miss that guy. Takes up a lot of net. And uh, they obviously like him. They they moved up in the draft to get him in the second round, which is pretty damn early when you think about goaltenders. They hardly ever go after them in the first round, so that's about as early as it gets for the most part. There's a few exceptions, obviously. But, I'll, I mean, Sogard's off to a very nice start, isn't he? Yeah, 7-0, and uh, 9-17, I think, was the save percentage. Uh, that the, the team finished, uh, Belleville, that is. They did not finish like 7-1-0. and They finished just as hot as the parent club did down the stretch. So the, yep. the Great Dane looked good. The Great Dane. Oh, there's a good one right out of the gate. <laughs> Sorry, I picked that up somewhere. Isn't that, isn't that what he is? He's, he's I, Danish. He, he certainly is. I just have not yeah. heard him called that because he certainly was great. But uh, Yeah, it's either that or Scooby-Doo. True. Yeah, he, <laughs> hopefully he's not a dog uh, next year. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my well, Scooby-Doo well, impression there. That was pretty good. That's not bad. Uh, Clark Bishop was a player I liked this year. Um, not a okay. guy that's going to make or break you, but he re-signed this week, so he's in the news. He signs a one-year, two-way contract. And, I mean, as guys that can bounce back and forth uh, as a bubble guy, that's that's a nice player. I really liked his effort level in every game he played for the Ottawa Senators this year. I think he'll be a leader in Belleville for most of the campaign. But if you need him, that's a that's a nice asset to have, I think. Yeah, he's he's a classic tweener, right? He's he's never going to be a regular up at this level. Um, oh, the Islanders just won on a turnover, puck turnover by Yari, Jari, whatever his name is. Um, yeah, Clark Bishop's a, a, a tweener in that when you want to have call-ups, do you really want to bring up a young kid uh, who's going to sit on the fourth line and do nothing for a couple of weeks to fill in for somebody injured? Or would you rather bring in somebody like Bishop who is – I don't want to say expendable, but it's not like you're missing out on valuable uh, development time by having them in your lineup up with a big club, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Absolutely. Or, you know yeah, what I'm totally, yeah, totally makes sense. And that's all that needs to be said because uh, really not part of the plans moving forward, but certainly a nice asset. Uh, you always like to have guys like that around in case you need them and injury really kicks in. Uh, you mentioned the Islanders. They have won three to two as we're recording this. Uh, it's just a yeah, blow by blow, double overtime. The Isles win that to take a 3 2. Ser- ser- is it 3 2 or is it tied 2 2? Yes, it's 3 2. It's three, another two one of those. They make you sit through an intermission to come back and score it a minute into the next period, a minute into uh, the second period. Dirty. Massive, all world turnover by Tristan Jari. Well, that's certainly good for my prediction. I've got the Islanders to win the cup, as I mentioned, and other Stanley Cup news as we wrap up the show today. Um, we should start with. The Habs and the Leafs, uh, as we record this tonight, the Leafs have taken a 2-1 series lead. What have you thought of that series so far? Um, well, here, uh, here's the my biggest takeaway from that. If you are a Leaf fan and you think they've got a shot to win the Stanley Cup, they're having this much trouble with Montreal, then you might want to give your head a shake about their chances to go on in this year's playoffs. Yeah. And the Habs right. aren't even dressing. I don't even think the Habs are putting their best foot forward. Cole Caulfield made his playoff debut in game three. Uh, yeah. Kotkin Yemi was uh, benched a bit. I mean, he was a healthy scratch. Uh, Romanov still not in the lineup. It, it just seems like the Habs are in that mode that, that DJ Smith, 
was early on in the year with the Sens, not really ready to trust the kids, wanting to go with the Vets instead. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Toronto's certainly having their share of trouble with the Canadians. And uh, and it just might be one of those deals, though, where the Leafs had trouble with the Sens, too. Uh, but can't, some teams don't match up well against other clubs. And, uh, okay, I, I, I get that. Like, there are teams where, you know, they just seem to have our number. I get that. But this team is not very good. The Montreal Canadiens, I'm saying. They are not good. Mm-hmm. They they struggle to score. Um, and you are and, – and they're – just the fact that, okay, it's Carey Price. All right, fine. But it was a, it was a make-or-break game tonight for them to win. And it, they should have just you – know, you should be rolling over them every night. Yeah. Like you should be up two goals in the third period or three goals by the third period every night. And instead you come out, it's only a one goal game. And, and yeah, you hammered them in the second period. What was it about 20 to nine and shots again tonight. But then in the third period, Montreal comes out and basically has their way with you for the first 10 or 12 minutes of the period. It's just, it does not bode well for long-term success for the Leafs. If you're having this much trouble with the number four seed who limped into the playoffs and can't score goals. Yeah, there's at least a couple of non-playoff teams who had more points this season than the Montreal Canadiens did. Um, is it possible, though, that maybe that Toronto pressure, you know, that oh, whole, yeah. you haven't gotten out of the first round since, what, 2004, and uh, the pressure that goes with that, that maybe if they get out of the first round, they'll be a different team potentially. They'll have a little bit of swagger. Yeah, again, as a Le- if you were a Leaf fan, you better be clinging on to that. Yeah. yeah, okay, it might be touch and go here, but, you know, after we get past this one, we're going to settle down and get on a roll and everything will be fine. You know, the boys are just nervous, pressure, no Tavares, this excuse, that excuse, but we'll be on a roll after this because everybody will take a deep breath and be feeling good about ourselves. But I don't know. You're, you're, yeah. You are that much better than them, that many points ahead of them. Imagine if there were fans in the building and the, and the Leafs lost game one as they did. Like, ooh. Yeah. Or imagine if they played the way they played tonight with barely hanging on uh, in the in the third period, if that game were in Toronto with fans in the building. So in, in a sense, it's almost a blessing that they're not playing in front of their fans. When they're when the toilet seat is down night, it's a good thing there's no fans in the building. Obviously, when the toilet seat's up night, <laughs> they wish the fans were there. But on their bad nights, man, they're they're probably thanking themselves that there's no fans in the house. Well, nobody wishes them less uh ill than I do you. <laughs> uh, but I, I really think that if they do get out of that first round I think you can uh, I, I would predict that there's going to be almost a flicking of the switch almost like finally here we go monkey off no. the back and off they go we'll see uh, no. it, it would certainly be easier if you had John Tavares with you okay look, look at those look at the big strong bodies in the depth up front of the Winnipeg Jets I don't know how to break it to you but I think Winnipeg's going to win two rounds now. Well, I think that, you know, they've got such an unbelievable forward core in Winnipeg. The, those guys, oh, yeah. and not to mention a, a goalie who can play out of his head. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that they could give anybody trouble. We kind of got lulled into them not being a factor because they had such a tough finish to the season, banged up. Um, boy, you can see the, the impact of Ehlers as he returns to the lineup in that uh, third game and that crazy comeback. Um, Before we get to that, though, and get away from the Leafs, the Tavares injury, uh, that happened in the week that uh, since we last spoke. That was as ugly as it gets. 
what were your impressions of you know what happened, the need to fight afterward, uh, the commentary that goes with it after? I think Toronto Sun had some you know I thought inappropriate headlines. Captain crunched. Anyway, what's your what's your thought on the whole Tavares situation? I thought it was a terrible, unlucky accident. And for anyone to think otherwise or state otherwise is an idiot. Um, I, I thought watching, well, first of all, Corey Perry and, and John Tavares are friends on a, on a certain level. Um, you could see that he was upset by it and, and affected by it. There's no way on earth anybody who looked at him could possibly think that he did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And then to have to watch him stand there while one leaf after another comes by, basically saying, you know, like, okay, we're going to have to go. You know, it was Simmons, it was Felino, And then watching that face off where he's knocking his gloves off before the pucks even dropped because he knows it's like, okay, fine, I guess I'm going to have to do this. Just stupid, totally unnecessary. We talk about getting rid of staged fights. You talk about the code. Well, exactly what part of the code does an accidental injury play? Uh, none. I thought that whole aftermath was just dumb. And I can't, I'm sorry, I can't think of a more eloquent word than just plain dumb. Corey Perry felt like garbage. Uh, he oh, went yeah. over and uh, how often do you see that where, you know, the opposing player skates over and uh, pats the guys he's being stretched yeah, off? On yeah. And I don't know. It, I agree with you. It was dumb. It was unnecessary, but there's still a lot of people out there who get it. Who they just think, oh yeah, you just got to do it. You just, you just have to do it. Why? Why do you have to yeah. do it? What is that some sort of bizarre chapter in the, the alleged hockey code that's out there? It's nonsense. Yeah. Yep. Just, and, and, but having said all of that, Tavares is a good player and let's hope he's apparently uh, no ill effects from anything head wise, other than he'll go into standard uh, concussion protocol before return to play. It's the other thing. Apparently there was a knee in there where his knee might've got, tweaked a little as he went down and spun before he took the shot to the head. So let's hope he's, he's back and, and, and I'd love to see him playing in the playoffs this year. Did you get a thought when you heard about the knee injury as part of this thing? Did you get a thought that maybe it happened when he was not, he was allowed to get up off the ice and fell over backwards? Ooh, you know what? Until you just said that, I never thought of that. Wow. I wonder, eh? I mean, it looked bad. Yeah. Have they, and, and they were very careful about replays. Did they show a replay of him trying to get up and fall back? Yeah, quite a few, and then it just sort oh, of disappeared. Okay. In fact, it, if it was interesting because I was, I was, I was, I was quite frustrated because I didn't like the medical attention he got on the ice. I've said that a couple of times now, and I, yeah. it just it just seemed like a scenario where it's an automatic where you say, "Stay down," you know, "Don't yeah. move that guy." He's a head and neck thing, maybe. Don't move him. Don't let him get up. And it right. just seemed, you know, I, I thought there was a dropping of the ball there, but then I go, I looked at the thing on social media and it seemed to be disappearing like immediately, like it was wiped off the face of the earth. It's still there in a few places, but it was like, uh, it was almost like they put a copyright thing out immediately to stop that from uh, making yeah, the rounds right. on the internet out of respect for John Tavares and his family. Yeah. I, I never thought of that till you just said it right now. I, I, I would wonder that too. Yeah. It'd be yeah. interesting to see if you ever do find out and there was a really good um uh, article on the athletic on uh, how the cbc uh, rogers how they chose to cover it and uh it was some good thoughts from chris cuthbert 
and just uh, what they were thinking and, and, and the director and the producer discussing what shots they show and, and how they, how they cover that from different angles and what they say and do. And I, it was a really interesting, uh, interesting read. Yeah, I, I didn't like the uh, Toronto Sun coverage with the Captain Crunch thing, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Yeah. I thought that that was a that was standard tabloid operating procedure, I suppose, but it certainly was kind of an ugly way to cover the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask you about the big comeback, the Jets and the Oilers. Oh. Edmonton thinking they're getting back in the series. They think they're going to be down two one. Okay, it's good. We have a four one lead here. It's late in the not late in the third, but with seven eight minutes left in the third, and the Jets storm back with three straight goals and then win it in overtime on the goal from Nikolai Ehlers with a great shot off a face off. Man, the Oilers yeah. they could be done by the time this episode comes out. In fact, but, uh, <laughs> that's I a, true. I have a hard time believing the Oilers are going to be able to um, come back from three. Not just that, the becoming the fourth team in history to come back from three nothing. But to no. come back from that type of a loss, no way. And uh, and again, as everyone knows, growing up an Islander fan, I think most people probably know how I feel about the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> so I loved every single minute of it, and uh, I'm I'm enjoying watching this, and and I'd love to see the the Jets are one of those uh, those nice teams that probably their 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 window opened two years ago, let's say maybe three years ago, where they're they had a real shot there and looked like they were a team, and then they kind of flounders a little bit and. And maybe, you know, maybe they needed that old adversity a couple times, a couple of short uh, trips to the playoffs, upset victories or defeats rather, to kind of galvanize themselves and get them in a position that they're in now, where maybe the strength of the the lineup, the individual talent level isn't what it has been in the past couple of years, but the collective talent level, the collective experience the learning process, the the trust in each other, the camaraderie, however intangible word you want to give it, has come together. And and maybe they are a team that, that, that can make some noise here this year. Everybody was comparing it to Toronto being up 4-1 on the Boston Bruins from back in 2013. Yeah. You know where my brain went, given that it was the Oilers? My oh, yeah, way, I, I, same here. Miracle on Manchester? Yeah, Daryl Evans. Yeah. And same kind of goal, too. Yeah, yeah, off a draw. Yep, exactly. Yeah, right, right off a face-off. and All that uh, was missing was the dance down the ice. Yeah, a sprint down the ice. That was like Theo Fleury <laughs> in his big overtime goal back in the day. But that was a 5 nothing Edmonton lead after two. And uh, the LA Kings scored five in the third and then one in an overtime in the Daryl Evans goal. And that's where my mind went when I thought about possible comparisons to that great comeback. All right, let's close it out today with the eight-game suspension that was handed out to Nazem Kadri. Man, does he continue to let his teammates down with dumb behavior on the ice. He got eight games for that. And I got to say, I was a little surprised, um, particularly that his playoff time. I remember what were the, yeah. the Sens were in the cup final and uh, they're up against uh, the Ducks. It Was it in that series? I think it was where Chris Pronger takes out Dean McCam and he ended up with a one-game suspension. Like, right. what? What? Uh, because yeah, the playoffs. The same way. Yeah, because the playoffs – obviously mean more. So an eight gamer, that's uh, that's a bit of a surprise coming from George Peros, who didn't really come down very hard on Tom Wilson a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's um, like you're saying that the 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 standard line is like a playoff game is is worth two regular season games. A finals game is probably worth three regular season games. So if you're giving a guy an eight gamer in the middle of the first round, the comparable would be a 16 game suspension if he'd done it in a regular season game. 
and there aren't that many uh, suspensions throughout history in the NHL that are that long. Uh, that that says something. That's a serious message there. I I, I can't help wondering what uh, Mr. Dolan and the New York Rangers think, and if they want to you know release a statement on this one uh, about George Peros. But uh, eight games is a big big number, and and a, and a guy who sorry and a guy who um, who like continues like what are you doing man how dumb can you be like the the, the ones back to back years against the bruins were just unnecessary and this was just predatory head hunting unnecessary and really man like what are you thinking yeah uh the appeals process it wouldn't shock me if he gets it lowered because uh because True. of what because of what george paris is i have no problem with the eight game suspension at all but I also know the template that's been laid down, such as it is from from George Peros, and it has not been a very strict one. And so I really think Kadri and his agent or lawyer, whoever handles this stuff, yeah, it really does have a leg to stand on in trying to get that thing lowered because eight games is, it seems out of line for the yeah. types of suspensions that, that Peros has <laughs> like been handing your, out. Your, your entire defense strategy is, well, here's George Peros' record of handing out suspensions. You know, he's all over the map, right? right. Up, down, a couple, no suspension, a fine, uh, eight games, uh, one game. It's just, that's your entire defense strategy, right? Yeah. And that's not a, a very solid foundation for a defense strategy <laughs> when you think about it. If true. Because, I mean, lots of cases in the court of law has been, have been thrown out because of precedents. What precedents are we talking about here? They're, it's all over the map. So, um, yeah. yeah, we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's unfortunate because that Colorado team is is outstanding. He's knocked St. Louis out. Made I, I thought that would be a decent series. But after watching game one, I was like, okay, that's over in four. And I was oh, right. Yeah. That was yeah, just I was a, the same way. Yeah, that was just bad. I mean, the Blues won the Cup two years ago. And to see them look that way really tells me that Colorado's got an absolute legitimate shot and and Kadri would probably make them better, but who knows? Maybe maybe they're feeling better without him right now that he could take a, some stupid penalty at the wrong time and cost them a cup. And I thought it was interesting hearing, uh, reading comments from Craig Berube about we can't get a call and they're getting all the calls and the penalties against us. It's ridiculous. And then you stop and look at the stats and the goal production. The offensive production from their big guys was was close to minimal for far too many of them, from from Ryan O'Reilly to uh, Tarasenko to who whoever you want to look at on that team. They 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 did not produce, and they they could not produce. Yeah, it's interesting that that seems like a a trend going on in the league right now. I saw Rod Brindamore go off on the referees the other night. John Cooper went off on the referees. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard any fines either. I didn't hear anything about possible fines because the NHL hates that stuff. But uh, it seems like it's uh, open season on the refereeing at this uh, this stage of the game. Or maybe we'll hear about the fines later. Yeah, maybe. All right. That's a good place to call it a day. Uh, Lots to get to over the next seven days. We'll keep uh, a good eye on what's going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs and any other Sens news that might come along in our next episode. I want to thank our great sponsor, DunRobinDistilleries.com. Where will your spirit take you? And we also invite you to check out our website. You can find out all about us, all about the show. We got some great articles there as well, how you can support us on Patreon. It is SendsNationHockey.com. Greg, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you in our next episode. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve.